Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Welcome to episode 13 of the Eric Roberts podcast, The Man Doesn't Want You to Hear. It's Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the comprehensive examination of the life, career, and works of actor Eric Roberts. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me, as always, is Mr. Todd Rigney, except not as always, Todd. I can't say that anymore, can I? Yeah, I know. I, I missed one episode. I feel like such a loser. I was sent dozens and dozens of messages throughout the internet from people saying, where's Todd? We want Todd. We can't listen <laughs> if we don't have Todd on the podcast. Wow, that that, that mm-hmm. makes me feel incredibly special. Yeah, it, actually, now that I said that out loud, it makes it feel like I'm disparaging our special guest host, Liam O'Donnell, who was on the last episode. Oh, no, see, we can't do that. Well, we could. Liam is a great guy, but he's no <laughs> Todd Rigney is what I'm trying to say. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I, I missed being here. Well, Todd, we're not going to go into why you missed the episode. I will say that it had nothing to do with your hatred of me. Did it? Did it? It didn't really, though. No, no, nothing, nothing at all. Nothing but there, like that. There was something that happened, and I just want to make sure, Todd, are you and your family okay? We are doing okay, and thank, okay. thank you, thank you for asking. The the listeners wanted to know. I wanted to know, but we're so glad to have you back. Well, Especially, cool. it's good to be back. And again, I don't want to disparage any previous episodes, but you can throw them in the garbage because this is our <laughs> most important episode yet, number thirteen, lucky number thirteen. Um, and Todd, I I would I would hate myself if I didn't ask you briefly your feelings on the Eric Roberts ghost-related reality television that we covered on our most recent episode. Now, in private, you told me that you don't have a lot of memories. What is your enduring memory of those programs? Uh, you know, I love those things. I, mm-hmm. you know, I used to watch the, uh, the marathons uh, years ago when they used to show them, and I, I kind of have a soft spot for those celebrities tracking ghosts and sticking celebrities into haunted places and watching them, you know, freak out at nothing at all. And... Uh, <laughs> It was fun to watch Eric <laughs> Roberts do that because, uh, you know, it, it, it peels back the layer a little bit and you get to see the man behind the mystery. And, uh, yeah, watching him kind of like uh, lose his stuff over ghosts was pretty interesting. He was prescribed drugs by Romanian ghosts. Yes, yes, he was. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, now, that... I, I, I should ask, Todd, this is the question that a lot of people have been asking. Do you believe Carney Wilson had sex in front of a ghost and then got pregnant? Uh Sure. <laughs> she believes it. I think that's the most important that, that, thing. that is the most important part. She believes it, then who am I to say otherwise? Todd, I'm not shoving you aside. I'm just placing you right in front of me because I need to introduce our guest today. Longtime listeners of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man know that I have a habit of praising the guest, maybe overpraising. Some people say I overpraise. But I will say that in this particular case, it's impossible to overpraise. Uh, I've said in recent episodes that there are two interviewers, uh, not only interviewers, certainly pop culture writers, but uh, two of the the best pop culture interviewers on this planet uh, are Mike Sullivan, who we had on a previous episode, and Will Harris. And Will Harris, you probably know his work from the AV Club, where he is, look, there's lots of people who do random roles, or a few people who do the random roles, but 
every single comment section you're going to read underneath it is like, hmm, I wish this was done by Will Harris. And there's a reason for that. It's not to disparage those people doing it. It's just that Will is so good at it. But you also might have seen his writing uh, on Bullseye, on The Hollywood Reporter, over on the Playboy website. Uh, you might have checked out his Misfits of Science um, uh, oral history, which I have uh, the Kindle single of, and it's one of the greatest things in the world. I'm just going to stop reading his accolades, and I'm going to welcome Will Harris to Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Hello, Will. Hello. I, I can't add anything to that. Good night, everybody. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Short episode, but I really think it was fulfilling for the listeners. <laughs> Will, I appreciate you guys having me. Will, there's a lot of reasons why we're having you on this podcast. One, because you're one of my favorite writers. But two, because you have a long and storied history with Mr. Eric Roberts, the actor. Well, I certainly have a history anyway. Mm-hmm. I was uh, fortunate enough to interview him uh, for Bullseye.com a few years back when they uh, released King of the Gypsies, his first film on DVD. Uh, then when he did a season of Crash for Stars, maybe? I've already I, think, I, I think it was on Stars, yes. yes okay. uh, I, I met him briefly at a Television Critics Association press tour event. Uh, and then uh, even more recently, I did a random roles interview with him for the AV Club. And then as recently as a couple of months ago, he was in my neck of the woods, which is uh, Hampton Roads, Virginia, Virginia Beach area, uh, filming a movie. I would say that you are the official interviewer of Eric Roberts. I think it's safe to say that if anyone could claim that uh, title, it would be you. What is your impression of the man from having interviewed him several times? Uh, that he is a super nice guy. <laughs> Like, it's very hard to, it's not difficult to be critical of what he does, but it's very difficult to dislike him. I, uh, I would, it would be unfair of me to suggest that I have any sense of what the man is like from either his interviews or his appearances on reality television. But if I was going to interpret or form a view of him from what I've seen from those things, it would be hard not to say, this is a nice guy. This is a guy who just loves to work. This is a guy who loves his family. I mean, I, it really is an endearing quality that he has, which is not something that I actually knew going into the creation of this ludicrous podcast. Uh, <laughs> but it, it is something that I've been glad to see as we've explored a lot of this work. Um, now, uh, what goes into making a random roles, Will? How much, how much uh, research do you have to do before, before starting the interview? How much you have to do and how much I end up doing are two mm. different things. Because I'm sure that I spend way more time than I really ought to, but the the results are somewhat difficult to argue with. So I guess I'm doing it just enough. You know, <laughs> I think I think I've I've seen this in a few of the random rules, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Where at first the person's like, "Oh, this guy is just reading from the IMDb page," and then you'll hit them with the realiz- and they'll realize suddenly, "Oh my gosh, he's actually seen." these movies or this television project he's researched the clips and he's seen them on youtube or whatever and it starts this connection with the person that you're interviewing which makes the the whole you know even reading it it just makes it a much deeper process what's the what's the most impressed uh, an actor or actress has ever been with your research skills um i, I very frequently had them go Holy shit, how do you know that? <laughs> uh, which is, is uh, basically has become a goal of mine at this point, just to get <laughs> that, that some approximation of that phrase delivered. Um, but probably the person who ultimately was most impressed was Timothy Dalton. Uh, I interviewed him for random roles, and I mean, he, was, he was impressed as we talked, but then it, it was a phoner, and a few months later, uh, at a, another Television Critics Association event, uh, I was able to meet him in person, and I went up to him and 
introduced myself. I'm like, I don't know if you remember me. We did this interview. And he goes, oh, my God, that was you. <laughs> and just, like, patted me on the shoulder and shook my hand. It's like, I just, I went back and revisited that interview just the other day. And it, it still just is wonderful. I feel like I've learned things about myself that I hadn't known. <laughs> I didn't know that you, Will, did such a fabulous Timothy Dalton impression. I do not <laughs> I claim that it's... Uh, <laughs> Perfect by any means, but uh, you, know, you listen to these things, you transcribe them, sometimes it seeps in. Um, have you ever had to abandon a potential random roles interview because of lack of interest from the subject? Mm, no, I think once we were able to run Harry Dean Stanton, uh, we <laughs> run anything, really. Uh, ultimately, I've only had one uh, random roles that did not run, really, and that was Jane Adams. Oh, and why and was it that? It wasn't awful. It was just, and it wasn't even disinterest. It was just a lack of desire to talk about herself, really. And and you see that sometimes. I think actually that's part of your quality as an interviewer that I I uh, appreciate so much, which is that sometimes there's an hesitancy early in the interview, and you can see that comfort level building as you read through it, and the and the the comments get longer, the anecdotes get a little bit more free, and I think that's a quality that you have that I admire so much. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, certainly it, it, it doesn't hurt that I, I take the time to do some research because it has become evident, not just from my presumption, but also from actually talking to the actors, that the average journalist tends to read the press release for whatever they're talking to the person about, ask them uh, about whatever their most popular project is, and then ask them what's next on the uh, on the schedule for them. And that's, yeah. that's it. That's as deep as their research goes. Well, so, you know, If I asked them about something that they did, you know, two years ago that didn't get uh, hit the top of the box office or win an award, then they're like, oh, my Lord, thank you. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's, and I'm not going to belabor the point, but the idea that these actors, uh, these, especially these journeyman actors who have to spend sometimes, you know, a month here or two weeks here on a project, they might have that emotional attachment to it, but then it kind of just, you know, they're moving on to the next thing. They might not even hear about the release afterwards, or they might hear it about it in a very reduced capacity. But, you know, there's always a story there. And that's, I think, is the, the enduring memory for me of reading so many of these random roles, is that there's almost always a story. You just need to dig for it. Well, and I think, and actually to bring this back to the subject at hand, that uh, Eric Roberts very much is a poster boy for the actor who, even if he doesn't necessarily have something spectacular to say about the film or the series or whatever as a whole the experience he's got something to say about but it was it was fun because i got to go here it was fun because i got to work with this person and, and that that's usually where the stories come from and he, you i think you go back and look at his random roles and that's pretty evident there too that story that he had about why he decided to be in Sharktopus is one that I'm not going to spoil here, but that everyone should go <laughs> and check out. There will be some stories probably repeated from that random roles on this episode because you've picked two very interesting projects, which we're not going to reveal quite yet. Uh, we'll uh, first go over the latest Eric Roberts news in The Roberts Report. Yes, it's the Roberts Report for episode 13 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, where we explore all the latest ER news. Uh, as reported in all recent episodes of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, we are under the impression, because of the, really a misguided impression, because of, of Max von Sydow once tweeting to Eric Roberts about his upcoming appearance on Game of Thrones, that we will eventually hear 
an announcement that Eric Roberts is going to be on Game of Thrones, a television show that neither Todd or myself actually watch. Todd, have you heard anything about Eric Roberts being <laughs> on Game of Thrones? I have not heard anything yet, but I, I have a feeling it's just a matter of time. I, I would su- suggest to listeners that just because you haven't heard anything, that is not a denial of the idea that he's going to be on the show. <laughs> Why else would Max von Sydow have tweeted him about it? <laughs> And, of course, I mean, that, that brings up uh, some recent Game of Thrones news that it appears that Season 6 has been, uh, its start date has been pushed back a week. Now, uh, I was reading some articles about this, and apparently it could be for any number of reasons. Maybe because they don't want it to conflict with some of their prestige shows, um, like Silicon Valley or Veep or something like that. Or, maybe I'm just throwing this out there, maybe they're waiting for the availability of Eric Roberts. Todd, what do you think <laughs> of this theory? Well, see, I, I think you've, you're onto something. The guy's got so much going on that man, you've got to you've got to like make room for him. Will, do you think that we're going to see Eric Roberts in the latest season of <laughs> Game of Thrones? My God, I, I, we can only hope, really. Uh, I I feel like it's a sure thing, and I, I the confidence comes from a place that I can't quite pinpoint, but I just feel like it's going to happen. I mean, my fingers are... I can't even really tell you how tightly my fingers are crossed for this, yeah. because I, I, he just seems like he would fit into that universe so adequately. <laughs> well, I don't want to put you in a corner here, but if you had to rank Eric Roberts' hair compared <laughs> to every other actor that you're aware of, and, and say it's on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is a bald man, and 10 is the loveliest uh, uh, head of hair that you've ever seen, where would you rank his hair? Oh, man. Uh, this is a tough one, I know. I, I, the temptation to go with the Spinal Tap reference and turn it up to 11 is, is right <laughs> right there, I think. I mean, it, it, it's immaculate, maybe not even strong enough a word. After we recently covered uh, Larry Cohen's film The Ambulance here for the show, and he, like that time period of Eric Roberts' hair where it's, it was a glorious mullet, but also it, was, it felt like it was actually bringing in other actors that were surrounding him, like pulling <laughs> them into his hair stratosphere. It really, that, I think that was his 11 time, and he's been 10 in everything since then, except for what was the project that we watched recently, uh, Todd, where his hair was mangled beyond belief? Oh, is it the... Uh... Oh, fast, fast sofa. sofa. Yes, that's right. That's fast it. sofa, where those, he had those, some sort of horrible twisty braids. <laughs> but moving on to, <laughs> to more news, uh, we have been made witness to the trailer for Eyes of the Roshi, a 2016 film directed by John Mark Nail. Uh, and I promised to mention this trailer on the <laughs> podcast because of their really uh, impressive amount of social media work over the last two days or so, where they pretty much retweeted and, and responded to everything I've written, whether it has to do with Eyes of the Roshi or not. Uh, I watched the trailer for this. It it's a very interesting-looking action film. Uh, I have a summary here that I'm not going to read, but it does look like it's got some martial arts in it and some <laughs> gunplay. Uh, I don't get a real strong sense of what the plot is like from the trailer itself, but, Will, you helped bring them to us. What do you know about Eyes of the Roshi? I will tell you that uh, the uh, fellow who's in the movie, the, uh, the master, uh, mm. uh, he actually, uh, his catchphrase, and I discovered this from one of the executive producers <laughs> uh, and one of the stars, Ethan Martin, uh, his catchphrase for like the last 30 years has been best of the best. Oh my God. And he had no clue uh, about Eric Roberts being in the movie best of the best. So when he just started saying it around Eric Roberts, Ethan was just like, this is, this is, this is the best of the best. Divine Providence. This. The, I, I can only hope. And maybe and I'll just put it out there that certainly the final scene in the movie is a 
fight between Eric Roberts and this grandmaster where they're going to prove who indeed is the best of the best. We, we can only hope. We can only hope. So everyone, look, keep their eyes out for Eyes of the Roshi. And, of course, in the show notes, we'll uh, link the trailer as well. Uh, one of the biggest pieces of news in the Eric Roberts verse over the last uh, couple of days was a tweet from legendary filmmaker Guillermo del Toro, one of my favorite filmmakers. I just recently saw Crimson Peak, but I won't mention it on the show because it has nothing to do with Eric Roberts. But what does have to do with Eric Roberts was a tweet that Guillermo made just a couple of days ago. He was tweeting. In fact, I'll just read it directly, uh, and I won't try to do a Guillermo del Toro accent. He said, Pope of... It, he, just to, to put a little background here, he's been tweeting a lot of recommendations, maybe underseen projects or things that people should check out, and he wrote... Pope of Greenwich Village slash Star 80. Rourke is in his perfect zone, yes, but Eric Roberts is and will always be amazing. Todd is and will always be amazing. I know. Like, it, from Del Toro? Man, that, 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 that's, that's high praise. Well, it is high praise, actually. I, I didn't appreciate your tone there, which seemed to suggest that I was being ironic in some way. Uh, <laughs> but no, absolutely high praise. It, I would love to see Eric Roberts appearing Maybe as a spooky ghost in one of Guillermo del Toro's upcoming uh, projects. Maybe Pacific Rim 2 starring Eric Roberts instead of Charlie Hunnam trying to do an American accent. Huh. My mind, man. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Maybe it'll bring Eric Roberts to uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada for a few months where he and I can hang out and talk movies. But yeah, so if you want an endorsement that's stronger than mine, stronger than uh, the wonderful author Will Harris, stronger than Todd Rigney, then you can now turn to both uh, Mickey Rourke, who uh, coined the title of this very podcast, and Guillermo del Toro, the two men who have strongly praised the work of Eric Roberts. Now, you may remember a couple episodes ago that I mentioned a project called The Dark Return of Time. And the reason I brought it up in that episode was an article in a British or Irish, maybe, uh, newspaper, which mentioned how a postman was directing a film called The Dark Return of Time. Well, uh, some more details have arisen about this film, which, of course, will feature Eric Roberts in a major role. Um, And it has uh, recently launched a Kickstarter campaign for, as the page describes it, Hollywood star-studded Parisian supernatural thriller. (laughs) So uh, for only 500 pounds, uh, a bargain if you ask me, you can get a co-executive producer credit on this film as well as the ability to either be an extra on the set or spend 24 hours just hanging out on the set. (laughs) Now, I imagine that if you are not in Europe, since, uh, of course, this is 500 pounds that we're talking about, that you might have to find your way over there in order to be able to uh, accept this. But, hey... Being a co-executive producer, that has no geological, geographical, I should say, limits. So you could be that, listener, by just uh, shelling out about $1,000 American. What do you think of that, Todd? Would you like to be a co-executive producer of The Dark Return of Time? Yeah, why not? I mean, I'm gonna. It would give hope to British postmen everywhere that hey, they too can make a movie. It would be a great opening line to if you ever ran into Eric Roberts, say at an airport or something yeah. like that, and say, <laughs> "Mr. Roberts, I was a co-executive producer on one of your films." <laughs> it couldn't. It couldn't go wrong. Currently, the film has raised tw- uh, twenty-one hundred pounds of its ten thousand pound goal with fifteen days to go, and uh, I do hope that at some point in two thousand sixteen or perhaps two thousand seventeen, we will be seeing the dark return. Of time. Uh, finally, on this week's Eric Roberts report, uh, recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page, and you know this is some information that I got from rereading your random roles, Will. That 
we have to take the listings on this IMDb page with a certain grain of salt because uh, a lot of times these projects will not necessarily come to fruition. That's why there's so many in production or uh, in pre-production that are listed there. They may not happen, but this one I believe has already been filmed. It's called Lux in Tenebris, uh, directed by B- Branislav R. Tentilovich. Let's let's say that I said that right. Uh, and uh, and the tagline for the film is. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I know very little about this film. Uh, the description says the life of Annabellina and Tedendra, two sisters trapped inside the dark world of childhood nightmares and life's challenges. But I can say that Branislav, if you go over to his IMDb page, he has some truly amusing self-portraits with quotes from himself on them. And I would <laughs> recommend that you do go over there and check those out. Uh, uh, the the director himself actually appears in the film as a character named Crowny, but of course we're bringing this up because it stars or features Eric Roberts as a character delightfully named Boss. So uh, you should be seeing that film somewhere, uh, maybe in 2016. Keep your eye out for Lux in Tenebris. Sounds pretty good. Will, will you be watching Lux in Tenebris? I, I will because if he's the fucking man, he surely can be the boss. Yeah. The man and the boss. Maybe we could change the title. I was already thinking that we should change the title based on what Guillermo said, but now, you know, it, you pay the cost to be the boss, just like that song says, and we will discover if Eric Roberts is indeed the boss when we all eventually watch Lux and Tenebris, because, of course, Todd, you and I, we have to watch yes, it because yes. Eric Roberts it's is It's on the schedule. There's, it's there's on the schedule. Speaking of the schedule, Will has chosen two projects for us to cover on this episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Two, I would say, distinctly different projects <laughs> <laughs> in ways that will reveal themselves imminently. Uh, the first would be, I think we can safely say, Eric Roberts' breakout role in 1978's King of the Gypsies, directed by Frank Pearson. Then we're going to come back and talk about the pilot for the television series Less Than Perfect, the ABC television series Less Than Perfect that ran for, I think, three or four seasons in the mid-90s. We'll get into more detail on that. A sitcom, a uh, truly interesting drama from the late 70s that kind of broke Eric Roberts as an actor. What do they have in common? What do they have different? Well, I'll tell you what one thing they have in common. They both feature Eric Roberts. We're going to talk about them one at a time in detail after this first break. of a traveling show my mama used to dance for the money they'd throw mama would do whatever he could preach a little gospel sell a couple bottles of dr Thousands of years, they have lived as strangers among us, knowing us better than we know ourselves, believing in a God-given right to roam the world as if they owned it. Where's my diamond? (laughs) I don't know. It's another gypsy mystery. (laughs) Though they fight among themselves, together they stand against the world. 
And the only law is the word of one man. Jaco Stepanovich, king of the gypsies. Amen. King of the gypsies. A heritage passed from one generation. 1978's King of the Gypsies, directed by Frank Pearson, who I believe also wrote Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Very interesting for uh, this podcast because the film itself, it begins with uh, introducing Eric Roberts. Now, this, of course, wasn't really his first project. He'd been on soaps and things and, in fact, had small appearances, I think, in films before this. But in terms of the public consciousness, this was sort of the big one. At least uh, maybe one of you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Uh, and Eric Roberts' performance in King of the Gypsies, I have to say, this is a film that I, I think I saw pieces of years ago, but I'd never watched in full. I was blown away with his performance. It really does belong up there with uh, Pope of Greenwich Village and Star 80, uh, where he has that, that energy, and he has that voice, right? He has that hair, he has the voice, he has that energy to his performance that uh, I think sometimes when we, when we are critical of some of his more recent performances, you just don't see as much of that energy, but you see it when he really is engaged with the character, and he certainly is here. We're going to talk about this movie in some measure of detail, but Will, I want to start with you first. Why did you decide that we should talk about King of the Gypsies? Uh, mostly because uh, that was the project that brought me to interview him in the first place. Mm. Uh, they released it on DVD. He was doing a round of press, uh, and I had never seen it at that point. Uh, and I was pretty much blown away by it, uh, like yourself. I, I had not seen, obviously, anything quite that far back in his uh, career. And it, it really its one of those where you can see him becoming a star as you're watching the movie. What was your impression of gypsies as a people before you saw King of the Gypsies? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I didn't really have much of one uh, short of whatever cliche I might have seen and, you know, fortune tellers on Scooby-Doo or what have you. Uh, and I, I will certainly say that it lived up to every cliche that I <laughs> had, had known prior to this. I wonder sometimes if the cliches that we have, or at least some of them, come from the fact that King of the Gypsies was a movie that was in the public consciousness in those late 70s uh, days. Todd, King of the Gypsies, what did you think? I was pretty blown away by it. I hadn't seen it. And, uh, you know, watching all of these uh, newer Eric Roberts movies, you know, it's kind of good to go back and watch something that uh, he's, you know, 100% on in. And uh, I-, I loved it. I loved everything about it. Maybe not the stereotypes, but, you know, overall, I thought it was a solid flick. Do you have a background with gypsies? Do you have experience with gypsies in your own life, Todd? I do not. But, uh, you know, like Will said, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, you, you learn, uh, you, you probably glean a lot from watching TV shows and cartoons and movies. So there's probably a little bit that I had amassed over the years, but nothing that would, you know, even be considered fact or even close to it. So for those who haven't seen The King of the Gypsies, I won't go into the plot in any significant detail, but it does deal with the sort of criminal ways in the violent past of a group of modern-day gypsies that live in New York City. So these people... Uh, and not to generalize, but just in how they're portrayed in the film, are shown to be rather shifty. Uh, they are involved in scamming people, uh, often people who... Well, in the examples they show in the film, often these people are well-to-do, so you don't feel so bad about it. But uh, but they don't really have 
significant moral scruples. Uh, so if you were a person who has a gypsy uh, background or are a gypsy, I imagine that there would be elements of this movie that could be a little bit troublesome for you. But we're going to take it in the spirit in which is, it was intended. And one of the things that's most fascinating about watching it is just how in-depth this, this kind of um, uh, culture that I had no familiarity with, the film gets into. And the idea of the king of the gypsies and this kind of title that gets passed down from this character. Now, much of this film, in fact, the first hour, you barely see Eric Roberts. You really only hear his voice. And it's, it's, it's interesting how commanding it was, even at such a young age. One thing that I read uh, over the last uh, couple of hours, Will, was that you were re-watching King of the Gypsies. Uh, and now... This movie has an amazing cast, but one of the uh, the, the the prime uh, actors in that cast is Susan Sarandon, who plays Eric Roberts, uh, his character's mother in the film. Now, you did not find her, <laughs> 10 years older or so than <laughs> Eric Roberts, convincing as his mother. Now, why is that? I, I, I guess possibly just because the age difference seems so prominent. I mean, it's, it's so clear to me that they are so close in age. I mean... It's not even like she looks older. She doesn't even remotely look older. She looks like she's his older sister at best. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we do have a very young Brooke Shields there yes. actually playing his sister. Uh, but it's, it's hard. When you see those three characters together, it's hard not to think that Eric Roberts is a lot closer in age to Susan Sarandon <laughs> than he is to Brooke Shields, which, again, might not even be the case. In fact, I don't think it is, but it certainly seems that way. Yeah. But the cast as a whole is incredible. I mean, you have uh, Shelley Winters. You have Judd Hirsch uh, being a complete <laughs> bastard in this movie. And you have the immortal Sterling Hayden in this movie, and I'm going to stick with you for a second, Will. What did you think of Sterling Hayden in this movie? And could you just give us a little piece of that incredible um, uh, anecdote that Eric Roberts <laughs> gave about <laughs> meeting Sterling Hayden? Uh, it, so, what did you think of him first? Uh, first of all, I, I thought he was uh, fantastic. I mean, he definitely is magnetic whenever he's on the screen. I mean, you can't really take your eyes off the guy. The voice helps. I mean, you're drawn to the voice anyway, <laughs> but just in general, his performance is great. He's definitely. Got a, a magnetic personality to him. And Eric Roberts meeting Sterling Hayden for the film King of the Gypsies. Oh, my Lord. Uh, <laughs> when I interviewed him about the film, he, as if I was going to say no, he says, I, I, I've got one quick uh, Sterling story I'd love to share with you. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. I, I, I can find some time here. <laughs> Sorry, Eric. We're out of time. I got to go. <laughs> oh, so close. But <laughs> Uh, I've actually got the anecdote in front of me, so I'm not going to try to do an Eric Roberts impression, but uh, he said, I'd been working about two or three weeks, and when we went into our night shoot, I had my first scene with him in the back of a car. I show up early like I always do. He shows up late like he always did. I'm waiting for him to get ready. The assistant director comes and knocks on the door and says, Mr. Hayden would like to speak with you. And I'm like, cool, man, great. (laughs) So I go over there, I knock on the door. Come in, come in. So I open up the door, and whoosh, it reeks of hash. (laughs) <laughs> he says to me, have a seat, son. So what are we doing tonight? I say, well, we're doing scene 85. I know the number. What the fuck happens? I say, well, it's, it's a night scene. You want to bring me back into the fold because you don't think your son is too capable, but you think your grandson is, I being the grandson. He goes, okay, how's your improvisations? I said, I'm pretty good. He says, well, well that's what we're doing tonight. We're going to improv the whole thing. Now that I know what we're doing, we're just going to shoot from the hip, okay? I said, great. He says, you want to get high with me? <laughs> I said, I, no, if, if I get high, I, I can't talk. And he says, "Well, I can only talk when I'm high." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Todd, now that you know that, and you may have known this from before from reading that interview, that Eric Roberts and Sterling Hayden improvised uh, apparently in full their scenes together. What do you think of those? Those particular sequences, I think they're actually the, one of the highlights of the entire movie, and it's kind of amazing to see Eric Roberts in such a young uh, form, st- kind of really going toe to toe with an actor of that magnitude. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that the uh, the scene was uh, improvised, but they they have such chemistry that it almost makes sense because there's such a natural ease between them that uh, it just doesn't sen- it doesn't feel scripted. Yeah, and especially because they're supposed to have that relationship, that yeah. grandfatherly relationship, and you really have to believe that if you're going to accept the idea that, uh, spoiler alert, that, that the, the character, Sterling Hayden's character, is going to pass on this title to him. And especially because the film, you know, it really does take place over a number of years, and even with these gaps in their relationship, you see that there's a strength there between them. And those scenes have to carry a lot of that, and it's amazing. Uh, and you again, we have to believe... <laughs> we have to believe this anecdote that these scenes were fully improvised, but even if partially so, it really does have that kind of of uh, strength of relationship between the two. It really does work. One of the things that really interested me about King of the Gypsies was the tonal shifts that occur in it. Uh, the first ha- first hour or so, uh, even though there are dramatic moments, there it's very comedic. It's a very funny movie in a lot of ways. There's this great scene where. Um, like a 10-year-old <laughs> version of the Eric Roberts character is uh, his father, played by Judd Hirsch, makes him drive down the street and is giving him, like, shouting instructions with him at him as he's trying to, to, uh, to, to, to somehow um, navigate these busy New York streets. And it's, I mean, it's, it's unnerving, but certainly very funny. But as the movie goes along, and especially in the final half hour, it actually gets incredibly dramatic, very, very serious, uh, and culminates, and once again, spoiler alert, in... Eric Roberts murdering his own father in in quite a, a graphic uh, form as well, very bloody. Um, did you? Uh, and I'm going to start with you, Will. Now you've seen this movie a, a few times. Yeah. Did, knowing that you are, are are a fan of it and you enjoy it, did you have any difficulty with those tonal shifts, or do you think it's just sort of part of the package here? Uh, I think predominantly it's part of the package because I mean you're dealing with you know 70s films and there was a lot of experimentation going on. Sure, they were certainly not afraid to. Uh, to abruptly shift from one uh, tone to another. Uh, I, I'll also say, though, that I, I can't watch the, the, uh, that final scene of uh, Judd Hirsch's without uh, thinking of his random roles, which I don't know if you remember that. I, I remember reading it. How does this play into what we're saying here? Did uh, he have something to say about King of the Gypsies? Uh, yeah, it was the first time he ever had to do his own stunt uh, going out the second floor of the building. Oh. <laughs> That uh, he said, I had blood bags on me. I had to go backwards out of the window, really falling out of a two-story Manhattan apartment into an airbag on the street. And uh, he says, a guy showed me how to do it. And he said, can you do that? And I said, yeah, I can do it. I do it. I do it. I come back, and they say, can we do that again? Because something went wrong. Uh, apparently, they uh, they threw the switch, and the blood bags didn't go like they were supposed to with the shotgun. And he said, I came back with dots on my face, and they thought it was because of the shotgun. Uh, and they said, yeah, I'll do it again. Uh, so I come back again. There's still more dots on my face. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not the shotgun. So they found it was the explosive device in the blood bags that was causing the issue. And they said, to him, can you do it again? He said, the problem was that I was in a play at the time. So I was filming during the day and doing the play at night. So I, I said, OK, I'm doing this is the last time. I'm not doing it anymore. And then meanwhile, people in the street are going, hey, look at that guy who keeps falling out of the window. That's Judd Hurt. He's going to play down the street. <laughs> 
Uh, Todd, did you have any difficulties with the the tonal shifts that occur in King of the Gypsies? Uh, not really. I I watch a lot of Chinese cinema, and those things, you know, bounce back mm. and forth all the time. So the tonal shifts, uh, depending on the movie, uh, don't bother me, and it didn't bother me here at all. What was your favorite part of the movie? I know that that's kind of a very general question to ask, but I'm just very curious. My favorite part uh, it was the exchange between uh, Sterling Hayden and Eric Roberts in the hospital during his death scene when he's asking for the cigarette. There was just something about that, that sequence that, uh, that really engaged me. When he's sure. like, you know, I, I don't, he's like, I should go get you a nurse. And he's like, I don't want a nurse. I want a cigarette. You know, there was just something <laughs> about that, that I, I really liked the, uh, the chemistry between the two of them. I mean, there are so many familiar faces in this movie, even in very small parts. Annie Potts is in there for yeah. uh, a short period, and uh, and actually, I'm not going to force you, Will, to uh, to give more of the Shelley Winters anecdote that Eric Roberts gave in your <laughs> random roles. But obviously, she had a major effect on him <laughs> for being in this movie as well. Uh, but it, it's um, it's it's a kind of movie that when you watch it, even though it's got a bit of a uh, like a two hour running time, it really does zoom by because of the structure of it, because it's constantly shifting forward and I really have to say that it was a it was uh, it was a revelation to me in terms of Eric Roberts performance I was really really impressed with it will do you have a favorite moment from King of the Gypsies I I mean I obviously we keep going back to the Sterling Hayden stuff but I mean just really any time that he and, and Roberts uh, have, have their conversations I mean I just think it's it's magical really yeah, it really is, and it, it's certainly to see an actor, such a powerful actor at the end of his career, and then we have Eric Roberts at the beginning of his. Uh, Eric Roberts was nominated, I think, for the Golden Globe for Best Newcomer for King of the Gypsies, and it was it was a... Uh, it's funny to think that in 1977, he was appearing on, was it, I think, Another World, the, the uh, yeah. soap opera, and then... <laughs> and, and I guess be fired off of it And then in 1978 Moving on to this really amazing performance For those who haven't seen King of the Gypsies I certainly recommend checking it out I will say It might be a foregone conclusion After this sort of discussion And our praising of Eric Roberts' performance But I do want to go to each of you individually We need to say whether this performance in King of the Gypsies confirms or refutes the idea that Eric Roberts is the fucking man Let's start with our guest, Will Harris What do you think, Will? Fucking man or no? Definitely fucking man. In fact, I, I would say that uh, this is proof that uh, he cemented the fucking man uh, uh, status straight out of the gate. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, which, again, is not to dispute whatever you might be feeling. Todd, how do you feel? No, oh, I agree. I, I think it was, uh, it, it's, it's a pitch-perfect performance. He's the fucking man. And he really is the, the, the man who has to carry King of the Gypsies, even though there are so many great performers in it. Really worth your while. I'm going to agree with both. Of the uh, of the co-hosts today, I'll say you're both co-hosts. That Eric Roberts is indeed the fucking man, and uh, this might be the 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 beginnings. This might be the uh, the first glimpse that a lot of audiences had that he would evolve and continue to be the fucking man. King of the Gypsies from 1978. When we return, we're going to shift gears slightly. <laughs> and by slightly, I mean completely, because we're going to move from this uh, amazing drama from 1978 to Less Than Perfect, the pilot for the TV show Less Than Perfect. Uh, and uh, I think that Will has chosen this for a reason, a reason that I can't remember at all. But when we take, when we, sorry, when we return <laughs> from our break, we'll get into it. Let's talk Less Than Perfect right after this. I 
muzzle with a swastika tattoo There is a vacancy waiting in the English voodoo Carver beef for metal on the filter bar's head When it's had enough for that, maybe you'll take him to bed Today calls her close to perfect. <laughs> the Boston Globe calls her more than perfect. I'm actually pretty unaccustomed to that kind of compliment. You know, any any kind of compliment. Meet America's new sweetheart. This is awkward. Not you. Sarah Rue stars in Less Than Perfect, premiering next on ABC. In 2002, it was decided that the world did not have enough sitcoms, especially workplace sitcoms. So ABC decided that it would pick up the pilot for Less Than Perfect, and here we are. Uh, to talk about that uh, Less Than Perfect was I believe the showrunner was Terry Minsky Who had also created the Gina Davis show uh, And I think Lizzie McGuire She worked on before that And uh, for those who haven't seen Less Than Perfect It is your stock standard workplace sitcom For the most part In fact I think I described it before we started recording to Todd As the sitcomiest sitcom that's ever sitcom <laughs> it's, It is uh, exactly what you would expect The only difference being It's star uh, Sarah Rue Who uh, at the time I remember articles about this uh, TV show Because a lot of the articles In fact this vast majority Would be referring to her As not looking like your average sitcom star and it's ridiculous to think that watching this show now because, of course, she's lovely and she, it's not like she's this enormous, grotesque person. She's, she's beautiful and she just isn't as stick-thin as you would expect most uh, stars of sitcoms to be, especially at that time in the, uh, in the, in the mid-2000s. But, um, but aside from her, the rest of the film uh, – sorry, the rest of this, the show uh, is not what I would call exemplary. It certainly isn't something that showed – uh, to me that it necessarily had the uh, Potential to be something special Outside of the supporting cast There's a lot of familiar names there Including Andy Dick uh, uh, Sherry Shepard And uh, later on And Zachary Levi actually From, from Chuck uh, And later they would bring in Some more uh, familiar fa- faces Like Will Sasso And Patrick Warburton So uh, obviously that came together At some point But there were, certainly wasn't something Just from watching this pilot Which just to be completely honest with you Is all I've ever seen of this show uh, That really kind of stuck out to me as it being something special Outside of the fact That one of the supporting players is Mr. Eric Roberts And this is the first time on Eric Roberts is the fucking man That we've discussed an Eric Roberts sitcom role Pretty amazing stuff So seeing him in that environment actually was pretty unique for me So we need to start this discussion I need to ask you Mr. Will Harris Why did you make us watch the pilot for Less Than Perfect? <laughs> well I, I think predominantly as a challenge because he basically has said that he was not perfect in this particular role, uh, and in fact didn't think he did a very good job at all. So he, it's almost the antithesis of the premise of this show. So I thought it would be a, a nice challenge for you. Now, understanding that he has referred to that in the past, and he has said outright that he didn't think that he did a very good job in the role, how did you think he did in the role? I think he did about as well as someone who had never been in a sitcom before. I mean, he certainly did not show any particular... Uh, 
<laughs> natural aptitude to the, the format. <laughs> I, I mean, it certainly didn't. He didn't jump out at me as if as if he was markedly worse than anyone else in the cast. Oh no! Uh, n- sorry. No, no, definitely not. But certainly not markedly better either. (laughs) Todd, what did you think? I mean, I know we're jumping well ahead than we usually do on this podcast, but did you think Eric Roberts looked at all uncomfortable with the with the material or the format of doing a sitcom? Uh, I wouldn't say that he looked uncomfortable, but uh, I don't know if it it, it jived with him. You know, it was just uh, it was kind of strange. You know, just the uh, he didn't seem to have the beats and the rhythm to the comedy very well and i don't know if that's necessarily the the material or if it was his performance but it I was kind of take it or leave it what did you think of the show todd uh i did not like it <laughs> I, i'm not the biggest sitcom fan in the world and uh this is uh the the show is kind of the uh the uh the, the definition of what i would consider a uh you know a laugh track stock comedy that is uh, there to fill a time slot and that's probably just about it. You know, I mentioned when we first started talking about this that Sarah Rue in that lead performance, you know, a lot was made of the fact that she uh, had a bit of a fuller figure than a lot of actresses that were starring in sitcoms at that time. But it seems like the the whole crux of the first episode is to focus as much attention on that as possible. There's a joke, a really unpleasant joke actually, where two of the characters want her to leave her desk for a moment, so they say that they're serving cake in the break room and then the camera cuts to her chair and it's spinning around because she's left so quickly to go eat that delicious cake. Uh, And it's so funny to think that attention was paid to this ridiculous idea that a, full, a fully figured woman couldn't be in a sitcom like this, while they would then mock her for that very fact within the show itself. Very strange. I, yeah. I, had, a, I had some difficulty with that, I have to admit. Uh, I, not to, to focus too negatively, but Will, let's get your thoughts just generally on the show. Did you find it funny? I, I found it to be a stock sitcom, as you said. <laughs> it, it very much is uh, office sitcom by the numbers. Uh, it's got I mean, you can't really fault the cast. It's just mm. the material is very mainstream, straightforward stuff. Uh, and uh, as far as Robert's performance, I mean, I, I can't really criticize him, but so much, even if he does occasionally feel a little out of his element, just because his character was a news anchor and everyone else works in the office. So he's going to be out of his element anytime he's working with these people who have nothing to do with his lifestyle problem. Yeah, so he's an, in the show, he's a news anchor named Will Butler, and Will Butler is like a womanizing, he's very charming, uh, and he's supposed to be very charismatic, and in fact, uh, it's, it's more than strongly suggested that, uh, that Claude, that Sarah Rue's character, uh, uh, is, is attracted to him and thinks that he's pretty terrific. Uh, I imagine they explore that in, uh, deeper within the show itself. Todd, are, how do you feel about the knowledge that we are going to have to watch every episode of this <laughs> sitcom that Eric Roberts appears in. You know, I, I don't really have a problem with that. I, uh, I, I can pretty much suffer through any sitcom because uh, growing up, I used to watch like Nick at Night and stuff like that just because I, I didn't have a whole lot of options on what to watch. So, I, you know, Donna Reed and crap like that was always on. So I, I think if I can handle that stuff, which, you know, it's pretty, you know, bargain basement comedy. I, I think I can make it through this. Will Harris, what are some of your favorite sitcoms? Favorite sitcoms? Uh, I mean, I, I'm very partial to uh, The Middle and The Goldbergs, mm-hmm. as uh, as anyone who reads my stuff on the AV Club as well. Sure, before. of course. Uh, I mean, I'm 
being as I have a wife and child, family sitcoms definitely tend to be the order of the day as often as not lately. Uh, but I'm certainly partial to The Simpsons, which kind of stands above your average family sitcom, certainly. Um, but I do like workplace comedies. Uh, I love stuff like news radio, uh, sure. taxi. I mean, ensemble comedies have always been a favorite of mine. I just uh, would not go so far as to say that this particular office comedy was, in fact, one of my favorites. <laughs> With Andy Dick in the cast, it's hard not to compare it to news radio, yeah. and it does not compare well to it. No. That is for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, actually, knowing that you like uh, you like both workplace workplace comedies and family style sitcoms, what do you think makes a great sitcom? I'm going to I'm going to throw this at you, Will. <laughs> um, I think relatability certainly goes a long way, uh, and just. Being able to watch it and see yourself or see somebody that you recognize within the, the, the ensemble. Uh, and also feeling like you know the characters. Because uh, I've talked to people in the past who I just mentioned Taxi, but they particularly hold that up as an example of a great introduction of a sitcom where the first I guess six or seven episodes, each episode focused on a different member of the ensemble. Mm. So by the first seven episodes, you knew everybody in the show automatically, and therefore you could relate to anything that was going on for the duration. And Less Than Perfect is a relatable sitcom because its lead character likes to eat food, and I like to eat food. I know, Todd, I don't know much about your everyday life, but you probably like to eat food. I am a food fan. Mm-hmm. So just like us, she likes to eat food, and they show her eating it on the show, so she is a relatable character. I will have to say uh, that I did not find one joke on this show to be funny, <laughs> and it it did – I don't have a, a large issue with laugh tracks. I don't have a, a, a hate-on for the traditional sitcom structure necessarily, but I will say that the laugh track on this particular uh, pilot episode I did have some difficulty with just because it seemed like people were falling all over themselves for shit that just was not <laughs> in the least funny. And hey, that's just that just might be the audience for this show. It is extremely hard to swallow the idea that the show this a that this show got picked up based on this pilot, uh, which is just so generic, and b that it ran for four seasons. So. Uh, Let's hope that it, there is a distinct improvement when we do eventually have to watch it, Todd. Going back to you, Will, my understanding is that Eric Roberts left the show after three seasons. Do you know anything about that? Uh, actually, I believe he left after the first season. So you're oh, okay. <laughs> that is a relief, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he left after uh, the first season, and apparently, basically, just had a none too abrupt epiphany that uh, he was not very good and just needed to get out. Uh, and so he apparently. Per his random rules, he said that he recommended Patrick Warburton as a replacement. Yeah. And basically in the same sort of, of role. In fact, I think he becomes the love interest on the show and uh, eventually kind of usurps his character's position altogether. I guess it makes sense. I'll tell you, if you're going to be replaced by someone, Patrick Warburton is certainly one that uh, <laughs> that, that wouldn't be a bad one to choose. I will, I will say that uh, from when I talked to him uh, for Bullseye some years ago, he, he left... <laughs> intentionally left a mystery as far as another reason why he left. Because uh, he said, uh, we had one cast member that made every other one of us miserable. Now, this is <laughs> this is a mystery. And again, far be it to me, for me, far be it for me to try to guess which one of the lead cast members made Eric Roberts miserable. <laughs> well, so I'll know, throw this over. I will tell you, so, <laughs> not to give it away, because he never actually did officially say... But wait, before you tell us, wait, before we tell us, Todd, who do you think it was? Andy Dick. 
Um, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to Will for the answer. <laughs> okay. He said, uh, actually, I said I wouldn't begin to ask you who. And he said, yeah, I'm not going to talk bad about anybody. And when I said I have a guess, obviously, I was thinking Andy Dick as well. He said, I'm just giving you the facts. And there was one cast member who made the rest of us miserable, but I can say this. It was not my pal Andy Dick, oh, who is one of ooh. my true friends. I love him with all of my heart. Mm, Sherry Shepard, I love her dearly. Oh. Zach Levi is my pal. Zach Levi is going to be his generation's Dick Van Dyke as well. He should. <laughs> I, I did read that immediately before recording, which it was a, it's one of those quotes that you're going to have to go back to in 10 years or so. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, but, that, that leaves Sarah Rue hmm. uh, or Andrea Parker, I think, would be the only other person in the initial cast. Now, that's interesting. Wow. That's now so we're not going to jump to any conclusions between which one of those which of those two might have caused Eric Roberts such strife. It's it's hard to believe that on a sitcom like this that anyone could be. I guess I should say it's hard to believe that a supporting player like Andrew Parker would be able to uh, cause him such annoyance on the set. So that would leave only one person. But again, I'm not jumping to any conclusions here, uh, and I'd hate I'd hate to disparage. Sarah Rue and how she acts on set. It, it, I know nothing about her work, actually. Uh, I do know that she, uh, I think a few seasons into the show, ended up losing a lot of weight. Uh, and uh, at that point, um, I don't remember if I've seen her on anything since then. But, uh, Todd, you were very wrong in your Andy Dick prediction. No, I, I just assumed on past behavior. Man, I feel like a dick. <laughs> well... <laughs> well, someday you'll get a chance to apologize to Andy himself, I'm sure. Uh, but again, we, we don't know who it could be from those two. Maybe it's not those two. Maybe it's, well, I guess it would have to be. That's pretty much all the actors that are on the fucking show. But, but, but it'll, it'll remain a mystery until we somehow coerce Eric Roberts to being on Eric Roberts the Fucking Man. This brings me to a very difficult question. The thing is, we've all talked now about how Eric Roberts didn't really want to be on Less Than Perfect, or he wanted to and then didn't enjoy his experience or didn't think that he was doing a very good job, and then ended up leaving the show. So that would make the question of whether he's the fucking man on Less Than Perfect a difficult one to answer. Let's start with you, Todd. You only have a few episodes to work from. We can't speak for the entire season. It's something we're, of course, going to have to revisit uh, mercifully in the future. Uh <laughs> According to the Less Than Perfect pilot, let's stick with that exclusively because that's what we're discussing, is Eric Roberts the fucking man or no? Yeah, this one's tough. Um, but I will say, based on that pilot and coming off of just watching King of the Gypsies, which I just I, I found spectacular, based oh, on that... I don't think you could use another piece of his work to <laughs> to but, reinforce your feeling but, on but this But coming one. off of that and, and having to watch Less Than Perfect, I'm not a sitcom fan, I, I don't like the, this kind of generic comedy. I have to say, though, that uh, Eric Roberts is not the fucking man here. Mm, wow. That's tough. It's tough to hear you say that. It actually it, it hurts my heart a little bit, I guess. Uneasy. Uh, Will, do you feel deep in your heart... Anger and frustration towards either Sarah Rue or Andrea Parker for making Eric Roberts sad on the set of Less Than Perfect. Uh, okay, here's my, my theory about this. Mm -hmm. I think that on the show, he is not the fucking man. But mm. the fact that he was aware that he was not the fucking man and made the decision to leave means that he, in fact, is 
the fucking man. Wow. Here's the reason why Will Harris is the fucking man. He managed to find a technicality to he make did. Eric Roberts the fucking man on this horrible pilot <laughs> <laughs> that he forced us to sit through. He wow. still managed to... And a show that even Eric Roberts doesn't enjoy, we still managed to say that, yeah. yes, he was the fucking I'm man. I'm kind of Todd, in of that. Yeah, well, you should be embarrassed about yourself, Yeah, Todd, I because... am, man. I'm all red-faced, shivering, shaking. I don't know what to do. Well, the shivering's coming through, but let's just take it easy. Uh, you'll get you'll get a chance to... Uh... <laughs> You'll get a chance to make up for it someday. Maybe <laughs> the day when we cover episodes two through whatever of Less two, Than Perfect. Two through death. <laughs> two, two through death. death. <laughs> Maybe we'll get to the end of the first season and be so into it that we'll just continue on and keep watching the non-Eric Roberts episodes. Todd, what do you think about that? Well, that, that is always a possibility. Looking forward to watching the TV show Suits, Todd. Uh, you know, my wife watches Suits, and it doesn't oh. seem too bad. So, uh, Can we have your wife on the episode to talk Suits? Uh, hey, that's always a possibility. Maybe we can have my wife on, too. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Will, have you ever watched the television show Suits? I have watched it. Uh, usually uh, when I'm uh, flipping over to USA looking for a Law & Order SVU rerun. Law and Order SVU. It's really interesting that you brought up Law & Order SVU, but I'm not going to tell you why yet. But I will tell you... After this final break, when we're going to return and do a little plugging and then announce who our next special guest is going to be on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, join us right after this. Drop the charges! Episode 13 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, covering King of the Gypsies and the pilot of Less Than Perfect. You know, some of the criticism of that TV show, Less Than Perfect, was based around the fact that it was called Less Than Perfect, which some people saw as referring to the fact that Sarah Rue's character was less than perfectly attractive, which just makes me hate that show all the more. <laughs> both, both the fact that people were upset about that, but also that they're probably completely fucking right that that's why it's called Less Than Perfect. What an awful show that we will eventually have to watch all of. <laughs> will Harris, the king of random roles. Do you mind if I call you the king of random roles? Uh, if you wish. I mean, it's not actually on my resume or anything. So. Mm-hmm. No, officially, well, you can quote me. King of random roles, Will Harris. Will, I don't want to focus too heavily on the fact that you're an amazing interviewer because you're also a terrific pop culture writer. You can find your work in all sorts of places on the internet, but if one wanted to keep up on what you're doing, what's the best way to do so? Uh, I'm going to say Twitter. Uh, my handle on Twitter is nonstoppop. Uh, otherwise, uh, I do actually have a Contently page, uh, which if you do a search for my name and the word Contently, I think it comes up, and if it doesn't, uh, I'm sorry. You also have a LinkedIn page, Will. Oh, I know, because I was on there today. <laughs> I've never got any work <laughs> off of that. I forget that. <laughs> um, now, Will, if someone had to pick one piece of your your written work that you would like for them to check out. It really just encompasses all of your interests and all of your talents. What what should they check out? What should they, what should they be reading right now? Right now. Um, mm-hmm. I know. What a, that's a difficult one. I really did throw a screwball at you. <laughs> I, I Curveball is uh, probably the word I should use. 
currently, like as of as we are recording this particular podcast, I would say uh, the airplane oral history I did for the AV Club. Now, if you look at Will Harris's Twitter page, I believe the oral history is pinned on the front of your Twitter page. So go, yes. Yes. go check that out right now. Will Harris has done some amazing oral histories, as I mentioned before. Misfits of Science, I believe you did a UHF one as well. Yes. Check all of those out. Um, I can only imagine the amount of work that has to go into those, but uh, they're always amazing reads. They're things that I actually return to again and again, especially when I'm watching the projects that they're, uh, that they're about. It's just a really fun way to, uh, to get a little bit of background information afterwards. Will, thank you so much for being on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. You're the fucking man, as I've said already, <laughs> and I'm just such a huge fan of your work, and I'm just glad to uh, be able to put a voice to the face of Will Harris. Absolutely my pleasure to be here. Well, we might have to have you back on again after the next time that you talk to Eric Roberts to give us the lowdown, all the underground scoop that he might uh, that might not be able to make it into the article because it's probably too profane or something like that. Um, what was the, what did Eric Roberts refer to you as? He used a word that he says when he's referring to friends of his. He referred to you this way. God, now you put me on the spot because I didn't go back and study it that in depth. <laughs> yeah, I I think he, let's see. I think he might have called you brother, oh, which is yeah, something that he yes, called. he did call me brother. <laughs> he called you Eric Roberts. You are Eric Roberts's brother, officially. He said it. Yeah, clearly. So I mean, the, he's, I'm having the genetics worked out. <laughs> well, tell us when that's complete, <laughs> Todd. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, Twitter's the best place. You can find me at the Film Fiend, and you can also find me over at Dread Central and Far East Films. Of course, and of course, uh, follow both. Will at Nonstop Pop and uh, Todd at the Film Fiend right this very second. And then go on and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. You can find my writing over at dailygrindhouse.com. Uh, you can find me all over the place. Just do a search for my name. But if you want to follow Eric Roberts is the fucking man, and you certainly should, you can go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your bag may be. Please go on to our Twitter page for Eric Roberts is the fucking man at E-R-I-T-F-M or go over to our Facebook group if you take a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook you will find us there uh, that doesn't have a lot of people on it but it does have some behind the scenes uh, discussion and you can of course recommend a film to be covered on Eric Roberts is the fucking man on episode 14 of the show we're going to change speeds a little bit we've had a lot of pop culture writers on lately but this time we're going to have a pop culture Artist? Huh? Yeah, they exist. In fact, one of the best in the entire world is Mr. Brandon Bird. And if you check out his work, I believe it's over at BrandonBird.com, you will find some of the strangest mashup ideas of pop culture that you might have ever imagined. You may have seen the, the picture before, the wonderful painting of Harrison Ford holding a Sega Master System, or the Michael Landon holding a squid, or Christopher Walken working on an Optimus Prime. He also has done a... <laughs> <laughs> and you can totally get this, a lunchbox with the picture, a lovely picture of Eric Roberts on the front. In fact, I believe that there's a, uh, a picture of Brandon himself with Eric Roberts presenting him with that, uh, with that uh, delightful lunchbox. Yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to keep on going on about how much I enjoy his work. On the next episode, we're going to talk with Brandon Bird about his two greatest and uh, most passionate interests. One, Eric Roberts. Two, Law and Order. We're going to be covering the two Law and Order shows that Eric Roberts has appeared on. Law and Order SVU Season 2, Episode 13, and Law and Order Criminal Intent Season 7, 
episode 13. The entire Eric Roberts Law and Order experience covered on the next episode with special guest Brandon Bird. What do you think about that time? I'm a Law and Order fan, so I'm all about it. All right, do you think you're going to enjoy these episodes? I know you haven't seen them yet, uh, more than you enjoyed that pilot for Less Than Perfect. I, I probably have already seen those episodes, so I can mm. probably say that I, I, I will enjoy them far more than Less Than Perfect. Oh, wow. You don't need to tear up on this subject. <laughs> less Than Perfect, man. Will, you're a big fan of Law & Order. How do you think this, this is going to turn out? Have you ever seen the Eric Roberts episodes? I have. I, I'm, uh, I'm pro Law & Order, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I will watch Suits just to get to an episode of it, obviously. Uh, so. he, he makes. Have you, have you ever experienced an episode of Suits which featured Eric Roberts and then have it followed up by an episode of Law and Order which fe- featured Eric Roberts? I'm not even sure if I, I could even comprehend that. Uh, it, it does not yet happen. It takes an intestinal fortitude that is not possessed by every man, but it is something that is possessed by the host of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, who have to plumb the depths and the heights of the career of Eric Roberts. Join us on episode 13 for those Law & Order episodes, and of course, please subscribe. Thank you once again, Will. Thank you, Todd. And good night, everybody. We will return soon. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts.